You're listening to The Blind, Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic on learning poker with Rapunzel. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going pretty good. Yeah, I don't really have anything exciting to talk about. I'm going to be working less now. I've cut back on some hours and going to be more time to do some poker content. And I'm looking forward to that. That's where I'm at. How are you doing this week, BJ? Less work and more poker sounds like a good time. So I'm not going to complain there. My week's been pretty good. Played some golf, had some parties. We actually had a block party in our neighborhood, which we hosted. And even though we didn't have that many people, everybody brought a ton of food. Our refrigerator is stocked full with leftovers. I don't think we need to cook food for like two or three days. So that's amazing. Another cool thing is that I'm having a meeting this week with a guy who did the flooring in our basement six months ago. After he did the flooring, he came back, did the final walkthrough, and then he and I started talking about rental properties. And he was like, oh, wow, I want to get involved in real estate. Could you hook me up? Could you send me some resources? So I texted him a couple resources, a couple YouTube videos, and said, hey, if you have any other questions, let me know. He called me and said, I'd like to get together and talk about maybe forming a partnership with you where we can go in together on real estate. That's pretty awesome. So maybe in future episodes, I'll give some updates on what's going on there. But one thing that we also want to get involved in is some TikTok videos. And so we're honored to have Poker Rapunzel on as a guest. I get wrapped up in TikTok. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of TikTok because what happens is you start watching a TikTok video and then you watch another and then two hours of your life is gone. That makes it sound like you're a really big fan of TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, it does. But of course, I follow poker stuff everywhere. And I was following poker on TikTok. And this particular individual was doing a skit about somebody wanting to interview her, but only so they could get practice. And my response to that was that they wanted practice so they could interview somebody famous like Daniel Negreanu. And my opinion is I'd actually rather interview Zell because I would rather get a fresh perspective, meet somebody new. So we decided to make that happen and have her on. Well, one of the hallmarks of our show is that we are students of the game, creating a podcast for students of the game. So who better to interview than a student of the game? So it makes sense to interview someone like Zell. Zell is from north of England. She's a full-time software engineer, and she rediscovered Sit and Goes online last year after playing online MTTs for years. She had thought Sit and Goes were dead, but discovered that at low stakes, they were alive and well. She's been creating content for TikTok for six months, something that she's never done before, and something that I would actually like to get involved in. So let's talk about that. Zell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So this TikTok thing, how did you get started with this? Like what prompted it? What made you decide to do it? And how did you find the process of actually creating the content? Well, it was kind of by accident that I started really. So um, I didn't get TikTok. I didn't understand what it was all about really, but I saw a little record button. And so I pressed the record button, had to play around where I pretty much just said, what's the point of TikTok? played around with some of the filters and then posted it. And I got about 600 views on that. (laughs) And because it was so easy to do, I thought, oh, this is a good platform for an idea that I've been thinking about for some time. I want to talk about poker jargon because I think it could be a reason a few people don't stop playing poker. And I'd wanted to do some YouTube videos. 
surrounding jargon. But I thought TikTok's easy. It's a nice way to start creating some content. Poker jargon is a huge barrier to entry. When I play a poker session and I come home and I want to tell my family stories about the hands, because my wife is generally interested in how my session went. She doesn't really understand how to play. And I will immediately toss out words like three bet. She doesn't know those terms. So pretty shortly, her eyes glaze over and she checks out and just kind of nods and says, yes, dear. So yeah, I think that's a great thing to do for the poker jargon. And it's really that easy. You just hit the record button, say a few things, and then post it. Pretty much. It is the easiest way, I think, for anyone to start playing around with content. There's little inbuilt tools in the app as well. So you can trim your videos, you can do voiceovers on them, you can add silly filters. And it's really, really a nice inbuilt tool. So when you have those conversations with yourself and you're saying one side of the conversation and then bounce over to the other, do you do that all in one take and just move the camera side to side to get the different camera angles? Or how do you do that? So what I do is I'll write a script up. I'll dress up as one character and do all the lines for that character. I'll try and leave big gaps in between as well so that I can make it more of a conversation. Then I'll move over to the other side and record them all. And then inside the app, you can just move where the videos are, trim them to the size you want to do, put some text over the top. So that probably takes me about half an hour, one of those. Wow. When I get started on this, can I reach out to you for help? Of course. Awesome. Of course. Thank you so much. So the TikTok side of things is very interesting, and that's obviously how we got in touch with you. I'm interested about your history as a poker player. When you started playing, you did mention you've rediscovered Sit and Goes Online. I want to hear about you and poker. I've just always loved card games. So like when I was a kid and my grandma had come over, she'd bring loads of treats and we'd play all silly little card games. But she never knew how to play poker. I'm sure if she did, she would have taught me. I say she's up in heaven at the moment learning how to play so she can play versus me. Poker's a cool game. But no one ever wanted to teach me how to play. There was a lad's night and they're like, oh, we're playing poker. And I'm like, can I come? Can I come? And they're all like, no, no, boys night, boys night. And I'm like, let me come. So years and years went by and I was in my late 20s and discovered that one of my work colleagues was being taught by someone who apparently went over to the WSOP every year. So I said, oh, can they teach me? And so he did teach me. And I think I fell in love with the game then and there. And then, you know, as time went by, I kind of didn't play, did play, found other people that played. And then I think online poker was getting bigger and bigger and I just started to play a bit. So I've been drifting in and out, probably just being a maniac player for many, many years. Then I found Twitch and very similar to what I did with TikTok, I'd watched one person doing Twitch and I went, oh, I'm going to do this. And it was during trying to do a Twitch stream that I realized I'm not a very good poker player at all. This has got to change. I'd read loads of books. I thought I knew it all. And I think sometimes that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> when you think you know it all, you stop learning. And then that's when I got a poker coach. I got a, he's very good, but a reasonably priced poker coach. And I've fallen in love with the game even more. And now I can say I'm a winning player. Awesome. There's a lot in what you said there that certainly are topics that we can go off in different directions on. One of the things that, going back to the TikTok, I saw one of your TikToks the other day that talked about mansplaining going on in your comments. And you're talking here about the lads saying it's a guy's night and stuff like that. Part of our agenda here is to get more women to play poker. 
a couple reasons for that. We want more women playing poker because we think the game will be better. We think it'll grow more. And we just believe the game will be better with more diversity. Dealing with that, how has that been for you? I think to some degree, it's easier for me because being a software engineer, I've always just worked in teams of men. So it's never been any problem for me, but I'm exactly the same mindset. I want more women to play. I want to be in a more comfortable environment. More, I think it would be better for the game. And I think it's always a question whenever you get any women who play poker together, we always say, how do we get more women in the game? And none of us have come up with an answer for that yet. There's behavior that goes on at the poker table that we wouldn't allow anywhere else in our society. It's dehumanizing and it's chauvinistic and it needs to stop. And another thing that would help is more individuals like you being out there as a public face of poker. The problem is it's not going to happen fast. It's going to take time. And those of us that want it to happen overnight, it's just not going to. And that was one of the reasons why I did TikTok as well, was to be, you know, in quotes, a visible female, you know, just an average woman playing poker. And I think one of the things that helps other women want to play poker is if they see other women. But I also agree a nicer environment in the casino would definitely help. So I'm interested in how you came about learning poker. You had wanted to learn poker for the longest time. Finally, a colleague taught you the game. Then you found a reasonably priced coach to help up-level your game. In your opinion, did it help to learn exploitative play first or GTO first? Like, How did you get into the theory of the game, turn that theory to application? What worked for you? Well, when I first started to learn poker, I don't think that it wasn't a popular term GTO, or at least not in the circles I was in. So there was no question. It was more about who can I scare off when I shovel my chips in the pot? If I was starting poker all over again and someone explained both approaches to me, I think I would definitely prefer to go for an exploitative approach because it's more fun. I can't imagine studying Pio coming into the game. It would just be a bit boring, I think. I think that we come from very different opinions on this. We have an episode that we did that's called The Silliest Debate in Poker, and it's all about the battle of GTO and exploitative play. For me, exploitative play is a subset of GTO. If you see your opponent is not sticking to proper frequencies and you don't exploit them, you're not playing GTO. So in order to play GTO, you must have exploitative play. Learning GTO is about learning how to better exploit our opponents. When we talk about what you just said there, I agree with you that it can be very boring early on if you don't understand why you're studying it. And I think that we can teach people who are just learning the game some exploitative tactics so they don't end up going broke before they get to the point where theory catches fire for them. I still haven't studied solvers. I'll admit that I have not used Pio solver or anything. The closest I get to is GTO Plus as an add on to Flopzilla. That's it. Like, I should raise this spot 6.8% of the time. How do I know that? So I'm kind of with Zell on the whole exploitative aspect first. Here's where I think it's more fun. Even if I don't understand GTO, I think I can see where a player's frequencies is off balance. I may not know what true balance is from a GTO perspective, but if I can see that they're turn honest all the time, I can exploit that. 
And I think that's what you're getting at, Zell, is that's more fun. You can see that, you can pick up on that, and you know if you shove your chips, you're going to put them to a hard decision. That's a lot more fun than flipping a random number generator and saying, oh, this is a 6.8% of the time I should shove. People do start by learning how to play just by using Pio, for example. They could be in a situation where it tells you to never fold pocket queens to a three bet. Whereas we know we've all come across that one player who will only ever three bet with pocket aces or pocket kings. So of course, it's a very, very exploitable fold to fold pocket queens, but no solver anywhere is ever going to tell you to fold pocket queens to a three bet. Yeah, you're both absolutely right in that sense. I agree 100% with what you're saying. I think there's a misunderstanding of what looking at a solver is. You're not going to remember each one specifically, but you can always say, I know that against a loose player, I'm going to three bet this, and against a tight player, I'm going to fold it. And that's where you start to see that extra development going a little further and a little deeper. It's the same thing that you're talking about. It's fun to see those frequencies. I think when we're learning how to play poker, there's no reason for anybody not to have opening ranges that are based on GTL because all the information's out there. But when we go beyond that, I agree with you. It's boring. I think you'll drive a lot of people from the game if you say, go study this solver right now. But at some point, if you want to get better, they're going to have to study GTO. They're going to have to go seek out a coach like Andrew Brokus or Darrow Kearney, or they're going to have to get into solvers. I am curious about how you became better at the game. You, you learned the game. You got some coaching. You studied it. You went exploitative versus GTO. You do understand how GTO is applicable, and you know how things like Pio works. How do you incorporate all that into your game, and how did you get better? What was your path to improvement? I think it was accountability. You end up playing in such a way, I think, sometimes where you go, oh, it doesn't matter if I call here or it doesn't matter if I do this here. Whereas if you have someone who could randomly just pick one of your games to just start looking at, I think you really start to concentrate a lot more. And that's something I've also worked really, really hard on is my concentration. But I think if someone can just suddenly pick out one of your hands when you are playing, you become a lot more focused and a lot more disciplined, I think. And that's been a very big part of it for me, is becoming more disciplined. How did you go about finding that accountability? On the show, we've talked about schools, different poker communities, Slack channels. Everyone has a Discord channel nowadays. Where did you get your accountability from? And how do they hold you accountable? How does that work? So it is by just having a coach. We will go through some of my games. And because we look at certain hands, because I know someone's going to look at that hand, it holds me accountable for even hands that we don't look at. That makes sense. I think it does. It's like the threat of accountability. Yeah. Someone could ask you, what did you do in this spot? And you have to have an answer. Even if they never ask, the fact that you're prepared to give them that answer, that does make sense to me. I know I've been in situations that are like that. So that does make sense. Yeah, that's exactly it, is that I have to give a reason for everything that I do. And I do that to myself now. Whenever I play, I quite often talk out loud. I pretend that I'm doing a Twitch stream and trying to explain to someone else why I'm making every move. I don't know how I'm going to do that when I play live. but <laughs> I still wear masks at the casino. Anecdote, I haven't had a cold in over two years. I think a large part of that is because I wear a mask whenever I'm in a big social situation. I can actually talk to myself really quietly. So you might kind of see my mouth move under the mask. 
that might make people think I'm a freak and they might be scared of me and that might be why they fold to me. Maybe I win pots just out of intimidation by the crazy guy talking to himself. But well, <laughs> my point is when I'm talking to myself, I'm commenting on the actions that I'm going to take and I'm commenting on the hand. So maybe you might find that helpful as well. That might be what you do. Barring the crazy routine that BJ does, you will have that inner voice when you're playing live. You'll start to hear voices that you wouldn't expect. I constantly hear all my coaches' voices in my head when I'm playing. So you played Scoop last Sunday, right? How'd that go? It went really well. So I final tabled the ladies' event. So I was really pleased with that. Considering I don't normally play um, PKOs very often either, and this was a PKO, I was really pleased to have a field of about 800 people. Awesome. Thank you. Do you have anything from that experience that you want to share? There's one very big hand. So I was under the gun. So it's eight-handed. I had ace-jack offsuit, and it's a standard open for me. And the small blind only had two big blinds, and they had a very big bounty on their head. Being in early position, I was kind of a bit cautious that someone else might shove, someone else might three-bet, might try to get me out of the pot. So I actually opened smaller than normal. I just min-raised. I had two callers behind. The small blind did come along as well. I think the big blind did as well. So it's a multi-way pot with ace-jack and the best flop you could possibly ask for it was king queen 10 <laughs> two suits were so because of who called i was trying to work out what kind of size i was going to go and because we had an all-in player with a big bounty on the head i actually went for a pot size bet which is not what i would normally do but i thought it might look like i was just trying to steal the bounty the next player behind me shoved all their chips in the player behind them called <laughs> And of course I called and my hand stood up and I ended up with two big bounties and everyone's chips. The thing I think that's interesting, low stakes players don't have the thought process you just described there. When I'm listening to you talk. I can tell you're a winning player just by the thought process you're going through. You didn't just, I'm going to bet. I'm betting this much because of this. I'm betting this much because of that. Dell and I often preach on the show that the foundation of so much of your post-flop playability and profitability comes from well-constructed range pre-flop. And we had talked about GTO being a foundation of well-constructed ranges because pre-flop is pretty much solved GTO-wise. Have you found that to be the case? What's your experience with that? How have you gone about constructing your own ranges and how do they deviate and how do they shift? Well, my coach has basically told me and given me a range and explained when I should deviate and when I shouldn't. And it probably is a GTO range. I've studied push fold charts, so I know those pretty well. And obviously playing sit and goes, I have isomizer open so often to work out all my ICM spots. That's about my, the extent of what I've been doing with preflop. What were your ranges like before coaching versus after? It sounds like your coaches are helping you with the ranges, and Dell has experience with that. People told Dell what ranges he could play, and he was like, I'm not going to do that. That's a different <laughs> subject. That's, that's more in line with... Thanks uh, for outing me as a stubborn student. <laughs> the question was like, how did your ranges change based on the ranges that you developed for yourself versus when the coaches told you, you know, do this? Oh, I've never developed a range for myself. I think prior to that, it was kind of... Which way is wind blowing? I know that I probably thought I was playing loose, but I was probably playing too tight. So, for example, under the gun, I may have only ever raised ace-queen, but obviously you can go a lot wider than that. 
And yeah, I probably just was like, oh yeah, this is Suited Connector. Let's play this from Under the Gun Plus Two. And I thought I was good and I was terrible. <laughs> that tends to be the way most people play. They don't really ever construct a range until they either join a site or they have a coach. And even if they do have a range, they'll look at a book and they'll look at the range but I don't think they really adjust for position or stack sizes. Obviously, you play far more tournaments than BJ and I do, and there's a huge difference in what you can play in tournaments when you're super deep or when you're super short, as opposed to a cash game where you're consistently the same depth. I think that it's important to bring coaching into our lives. Another thing that stood out to me, you read a book and sometimes you think you have all the answers and it stunts your growth. So what I'm really getting from this conversation with you is the importance of coaching, the importance of being open to advice from other players that are better than you. Absolutely. I, I couldn't recommend coaching enough to people. If, if they were struggling like me, you know, you can watch a training video 200 times, but if you don't understand it or stick to it, then you're never going to improve as a player. I think for me personally, I really needed someone to go, why are you betting that? <laughs> and quite often the answer was, I don't know. And being put under that pressure made a big difference for me. And I think one of the other things I didn't realize is you can find relatively cheap coaches. You don't have to be spending £500 for an hour, especially for someone who was at my level, just finding someone for like, my coach is about £20 an hour. And I think he's, I think he's worth more than that, but don't tell him that. Please don't let him up his prices. <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be said about being coached by a name prestige-wise, but in the end, get a coach that's better than you, but how do you know they're better than you? And that's another thing. How do you know that what your coach says is sound? And you know that when you can talk to other people whom you respect in the poker community, and they say, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. This person knows what they're doing. Well, isn't that what Andrew Brookers charges is $500 an hour? I'm a huge Andrew Brokers fan. I listen to his podcast every week. He knows his stuff, and he is the author of much of what we study for GTO nowadays. My fanboyism came out. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Andrew Brokers, too. I would love to be coached by him, but I think the stage I was at, I would have been wasting my money. I needed someone really to say to me, Are you betting for value or are you betting as a bluff? And me to go, I don't know. <laughs> Where are you going with your poker in the near future? I don't know yet. I think for the time being, I'm just trying to improve in sit and goes. I only play $5 sit and goes, but I will soon be looking at moving up to $10 sit and goes. And then they kind of die out around the $25. So at that point, I'm going to have to decide if I'm going to move into playing more MTTs, play more live, play more cash. It does seem that the UK scene for live cash is the best way to make some money. So that might be the direction that I move into. I have heard that in the UK, some of the toughest tournaments are here and some of the best tournament players. I did have an experience of that a couple of months ago. I played in a ladies event. It was only a £150 game, but wow. The women at that table were very good. I had a few pros at the table, and I don't know if live tournament is really viable in the UK from what I've heard. They're tough games. I think that we're always trying to find that path that's going to be profitable for us, right? The most EV. But also the most fun. 
it is a hobby for me at the end of the day. So if I got too bored playing cash, I'd rather win less money and play tournaments than win more money and do something I don't quite enjoy. The happiness quotient is the most important thing, right, in our life. I agree with you, and I hope you succeed in whatever you choose. The question I have it gets back to your regiment for studying. I'm kind of addressing this as a fellow student of the game. As you've gone through coaching and as you've progressed as a player, how has your study regimen changed? What does your study routine look like? So, well, I have a two-hour coaching session every week, which is either we go through something new or we review hands or something similar to that. So that two hours is my main portion. And then throughout the week, I probably will have marked certain hands. Either I want to run them through isomizer or I want to review them myself. And then another thing that I'll start to do, as well as obviously reviewing hands by myself, is I will just bring up ranges and have a look at what ranges can I do, bet, bet, bet. What ranges can I call, call, call? And just look at certain lines and see what bluffs I have in there and see what my weakest value is. Too few poker players actually study. And I would wager that a very small subset of those players that do study, study anything meaningful. And the way that you just described your study routine sounds like you're in that minority. Very targeted, very meaningful, reviewing hands, reviewing ranges, bucketing your ranges into different lines, that's the work that no one does. It's not only encouraging, but it's inspirational. I would really like our listeners to take away, hey, if you want to have a study routine, this is an example of one that you should probably do because it's really targeted, it's surgical, it's meaningful, do it. I want to ask if you would be interested in maybe six months or a year from now coming back on this. I want to hear more about your progress down the road. I'm very interested in your growth on TikTok. I'm interested in your growth as a poker player. I want to hear instead of final tabling a scoop event, I want to hear that you won one and become poker famous. Thank you. I would absolutely love to come back anytime. So Zell, if people want to find ways to contact you, how could they find you? Find me on TikTok at poker.rapunzel. Perfect. We will send our listeners there. We'll put a link in the description and our show notes. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. It's really interesting. Thanks for joining me, Del. Yeah, this is awesome. This, this has been an interesting one, and I'm, I'm glad we did it. And until next week, stick to the plan, and may all your variants be positive. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Thank you.